of scintillating cinema, the uh, undisputed champion of the underdog of underground cinema. Andrew Leavold, last time I uh, saw him, he was searching for his wang wang. He managed to find it, and now he's back with Pub, the movie. Andy, Andy, Sugar Dandy, welcome back. Ah, and well spent. How are you? Thank you, Batman. How's it going? Ah, well, you know, uh, I feel pretty confident that we're going to uh, be able to get to the bottom of this whole Fred Negro business. Yes. Yes, I think so. And for someone who didn't know too much about it, and that's what I love about uh, documentaries in general, for someone who was a complete uh, novice, if you will, to this uh, this world of, uh, of Fred Negro coming into it, what a surprise. It's like uh, some of the material suggests he's sort of like the uh, the Robert Crumb uh, meets Joe Strummer meets, uh, you could say, John Headley, the barbaric genius of St Kilda. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an incredible story. How, where, why, when did you get involved? Uh, you mean with the subterranean world of St Kilda punk? Yeah. Uh, well, probably when I was, I must have been about 16 or 17 at the time when I, Heard my first Fred Negro record. Right, okay. And this this would have been after overdosing on Sex Pistols and Dead Kennedys and Peter and the Test Tube Babies. I mean, I was I was primed for um, cheerfully offensive, loud, raucous, you know, disgusting, noisy punk rock. And and being on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland at the time. There weren't a lot of opportunities to find that sort of stuff unless you went down to Brisbane to one of the import record shops and, and you know, really dug deep. And and operating on that subterranean level back in the 80s really was like going into the jungle uh, because there were very few guidebooks to, to help you. But I, I stumbled on a, a magazine review in the mid-80s for um, – Fred's first band, I Spit in Your Gravy's first record. Right. And it started off with um, the paragraph, Fred ne- singer Fred Negro bucks chickens on stage. Roast chickens because Fred is a civilised man. Sure. And I thought, oh, my fucking God, this is next level. <laughs> this is beyond the Sex Pistols. This is in a whole new realm of offensive of, of offensive punk rock it's and so of course you know affected, like a moth full of flame <laughs> affected every time you've gone through red rooster ever since has well you know there there was a time when i had to go chicken shopping with fred uh for, for what and i thought what what am i doing how how low have i sunk right now <laughs> but I've, I've seen things you know having played in bands uh with fred since 2001 the things I've seen, you know, from the drummer's stool initially. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the first gig I ever did back in 2001, uh, Fred gets to the final song, Burger Shop Slaughter, and I can see the foil bag with the chicken coming out, and there's 
bits of chicken flying everywhere. All I can see is his naked ass and a whole lot of activity going on in front of it. Then out comes the cantaloupe and there's bits of fruit flying. And um, I'm, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm behind the drummers still because I don't have to watch it from the front of the stage. But then I realized at the end of the gig, I had to walk through whatever was left. Uh, so I, I walked through this, through this reservoir of, you know, freshly fucked roast chicken and cantaloupe juice and, and thought, okay, this is, this is an adventure. <laughs> this is an experience. <laughs> so I wanted to, um, chronicle, uh, the, the purveyor of those kind of acts, um, As you do. in a sympathetic light, because I, yeah. I think anyone else attempting, um, a, a story of Fred Negro's life are probably going to go straight for the most outrageous moments and it's going to stop there. But you need to see, you need to recognise that uh, the humanity behind the the canopy of outrageousness and, and outrageous acts, uh, that there is a very sharp satiric mind at work there. And and a very shy person masquerading as the most outrageous punk rock performer, uh, probably in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, and it's and and it's oddly familiar. When I watched the watched the film, I, it brought back memories of um, Barbara Schroeder's the Bukowski tapes when the, you know he's driving with Bukowski through the old uh, down the haunts there in uh, in West LA. And and in your film, like you're walking around doing like a walking tour of all the uh, of all the old haunts and, yeah. and hearing stories along the way, which is, you know, probably the best way to, to have it, take the man, have the man himself take you on a, uh, a walk into, you know, days of future past. Yeah. It, it, I thought it was a great framing device and it's a very organic one too, because Fred would periodically do these walking tours of St Kilda. And it's really only in front of an audience that, um, Fred comes alive. If you stuck a camera in front of him and did a conventional interview with him, I think he would be so self-conscious of the camera and self-conscious of his performance to the camera that it wouldn't work. And he looked so relieved when I said to Fred, I'm not going to do a traditional sit down to camera interview. Oh, thank fuck for that stumpy, he says. Um, but instead I found so much footage of Fred either performing on stage or or telling stories to an audience. And that's the the perfect realm, the the perfect platform for him to be able to tell his story. Um, so that was one aesthetic choice that I made. Uh, the rest of his story or, or his telling of his story is done in um, voiceover. And I recorded it at a barrel. At a beer barrel, at a home bar, at, at Lush Twit's house, um, he just stuck a microphone on the barrel, and we sat there with a carton of beer, and he told pub stories. You know, as if he was sitting at the pub, uh, in the same way that we do most of the interviews in the film. People sitting in either a pub or the place where they usually drink and and tell stories at. And it's like you're sitting across um, a table listening to them, uh, you know, recount their tales in in their preferred environment. 
just hmm. tends to be a bar, <laughs> a bar, a pub, uh, a restaurant that serves copious amounts of alcohol. Yeah, sure. But uh, and that was one of the reasons I brought up uh, Barbaric Genius. Uh, you know, early on when I realised that you weren't going to be sort of sitting down with Fred and having that conventional interview play through the film. Ooh. And it reminded me of that documentary about John Headley because he himself was uncomfortable just sort of sitting still in front of the camera being interviewed and was much more at home walking around and having the guy, you know, what was it like here, John? What was it like there, John? As, of course, you've probably seen that documentary and it's very similar in the launch of the documentary that they made about uh, Jack Charles when he was still living on the streets uh, before he was kind of rediscovered uh, because of that documentary. But like you say, it's it's always important to have your subject comfortable and, and of course, when they're comfortable and more at ease, the more likely you are to get uh, all the gold that you wouldn't normally if you were just sitting there going, and what's your favourite colour now, Fred? And uh, what were you thinking when you painted that, Fred? Or what were you thinking when you are drawing that, Fred? And all that sort of stuff. Whereas, yeah. if, say, you're sitting there and you've had one or two and the stories start to flow nice and naturally and you've got a tape recorder running. It's Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we're, we're talking about um, people from, uh, you know, an artistic world, a, a, a uh, creative uh, cauldron. And um, Fred happens to be one of the most eccentric and probably one of the smartest out of that entire for want of a better word, Demimond, mm-hmm. you know, that whole St Kilda scene, which he's been pretty much one of the most, um, one of the most visible and, and uh, leading figures of uh, both artistically, visually, uh, uh, sonically, and also spiritually. He's kind of like the spiritual leader of, of that group of um the the St Kilda true believers the the keepers of the rock who still gather on a weekly basis and sort of sit at Fred's feet and and uh you know watch his band or witness him draw or um you know pay pay tribute in some this being um, guru for the past forty plus years, uh, and not only their leader but also their diarist, their chronicler. Hmm. You know the Samuel Pepys of St Kilda, who managed to capture not only his own personal story but the stories of all of the people around him within within ice the ice shot of him. Um, in a weekly comic strip that was published in in uh, Melbourne Street Press from 1989 and has been going pretty much nonstop ever since. I think that is an extraordinary um, uh, part of Pub the Movie, hmm. taking Pub the Strip and turning it into a, a, a documentary about the world that uh, Pub the comic strip was able to capture. Hmm. So, I mean, and and that's only just part of the story, but I think if it was just about the, the, the fact that he captured his life 
for 30 plus years in a weekly comic strip, that would be extraordinary in its in itself. Sure, sure, and very reminiscent of that American Splendor chap. What was his name? Harvey Pekar. I know he didn't illustrate. Harvey Pekar, yeah. precisely. And I and I kept thinking of uh, American Splendor and Crumb Crumb the movie uh, yeah. while I was making this, and and I think there are some very conscious nods towards those films because they're they're they occupy the same universe you know yeah. they they are obsessive uh chroniclers of their um you know their own little universes their time they're men of their time and place but listen after um after the, after the long uh, the long journey it was to to get the search for wang wang out there how, how did it feel with this uh, coming back now with the second? Uh... Well, there, well, there was a documentary in between called uh, Last Pinoy Action King, right. uh, which which came out two years after Search for Wang Wang. Right. Uh, that was a commission commission job that I did in the Philippines for right. the family of a deceased um, action star right. who wanted to mark the seven year passing of, of their scion. Okay. Uh, and so, as opposed to the seven years that it took to do search for Wang Wang, it oh, took yeah. seven months from initial email to to premiere, and it was it was rushed. It was done on a fraction of budget of search for Wang Wang, and that was still pretty fucking low budget right. <laughs> already. Was that, I mean, that this was funded? Less was that crowd funded as well, or was that funded by? Someone? No, no, it was. It was fun, funded by the uh, by the family, but when um, Rudy Fernandez's son first contacted me in early 2015, he said, uh, "You know, I'd like you to make a, a documentary about my dad." I said, well, "Yeah, this this sounds great. How much do you think you you might need for that?" And you know, I thought, "All right, don't be greedy, don't be greedy." I said, "Oh, about a hundred thou." And he goes, "I'll give you twenty five. I went, "Oh, fuck." Oh no! And so, of course, it meant um, you know being paid pocket money. Um, at, at least I got to live in the Philippines for three months while we were making it. I got to interview some extraordinary, uh, uh, like big figures in the Filipino entertainment world. Got to hang out with all the old stunt guys and and action stars because Rudy Fernandez was you know the last of those Filipino action kings. And it does kind of talk about the passing of the torch from Fernando Poe Jr. to Rudy Fernandez. And then Rudy Fernandez kind of being the last of that, that type of action hero. He went into politics. I wanted to bring that whole idea of uh, Filipino action heroes in politics into the film. That didn't really go anywhere because I couldn't get, an interview with the former president, the former action star, Joseph Estrada. There were so many things that I wanted in that film, didn't have the budget, didn't have the time, and I couldn't get the family's permission to add it. So it became this weird compromise. Uh, you know, like the film was kind of ni neither Arthur nor Martha eventually, and, and it didn't really seem to please anyone. You know, even the, even the family, they kind of went, eh, it was all right, I suppose. And 
So um, the, the, that film, which I thought would be uh, the logical successor to Search for Wang Wang, didn't really go anywhere. And um, um, aside from a couple of film festival uh, appearances, ended up on YouTube so you can watch it for free. <laughs> that's that's the end of Last Pinoy Action King. But, but um, you know, having kind of, you know, brushed off the dust, licked my bruises over that um, uh, rather unpleasant uh, experience would be another um, seven years before I could get the next feature-length documentary finished, which was Pub the Movie. And in the meantime, I was also trying to get a third documentary uh, up and running in the Philippines. That ended up running out of money, and and uh, then COVID hit, and that's been on pause for five years. A uh, documentary about erotic cinema during the Marcos era. Uh, weirdly enough, I just got back from the Philippines a couple of weeks ago, right. and I found out that the money was finally there, and so I'm going back in November to to finish that one. Next doco will be done by the end of next year. So not too long be- be- between uh, drinks on that one. Thank God. <laughs> it's It's got to be nice to get on a roll after so long. Oh, yeah. I mean, ev- ev- everyone got slammed by COVID and I'm, I'm not the only one whose plans were thwarted. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least I didn't get evicted. <laughs> uh, I got a lot of nerdy research done in that two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't leave... Queensland, which was frustrating. I couldn't get to Melbourne um, to work on pub. That uh, that took 24 months before I could actually physically go back to Melbourne and, and finish work on that. Right. Um, but, yeah, it, it, uh, it was a, a trying time for all of us. It made me realise how hungry I was for filmmaking, for travel, for the opportunities to research stuff, uh, you know, in the field. And they really are my great loves. Uh, COVID was a not-so-subtle reminder of what was important to me as a person. And, uh, yeah, that that is that connection with your community, with your cronies, uh, and the um, act of going out and making a stupid movie <laughs> not so stupid hardly um, stupid but you they, they, you, you, you wear your heart on your sleeve you wear your passions on your hat it's it's always fantastic to to watch your movies because i i know that these uh, these are worlds that you not only uh, love but you in many ways inhabit yeah love and live i i think that's right yeah, yeah. And and do you think as as you continue to make films, most of your documentaries will probably come from that? Oh, I would these. I would guarantee these. Oh yeah, I mean, you. I talked about the um, erotic cinema during Marcos. I mean that one. uh, I mean I don't necessarily live it, uh, but I love the weird stories that have come out of that particular project, you know, and that all sprang out of search for Wang Wang, finding out that not only were the Marcos family, uh, you know, uh, hosts to Wang Wang at the palace, but they were also um, funding and exhibiting hardcore pornography during the final years of their dictatorship. 
And I just went, okay, there's a story. Oh, my God, the great untold story of Philippine cinema. This is one that the Philippines hasn't even heard, really. Uh, or if they did, they've conveniently forgotten it, <laughs> particularly since the son of Marcos is now the president. Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got to tread very carefully around this, but but it is a story of, uh, I mean, it, it, there's the big picture story of um, the 21 years of the Marcos regime, but there are also the stories of the women who are in the films who were subject to, you know, the most grotesque forms of exploitation within the exploita within the exploitation genre. And uh, they're so happy that uh, they finally get an opportunity to confess their their stories. Uh, you know, in the same way that Wang Wang's family were so grateful to be able to be able to tell their story finally, you know, that someone had bothered to ask them about their stories. And that that seems to be uh, a recurring theme in my films as well. You know, I'm, I'm telling the stories that no one else bothers to tell. The best place by the fire was kept for the storyteller. And Andrew Levold, you continue to tell us uh, wonderful, incredible stories, and I hope continue to do it. I certainly enjoyed Pub. Where can uh, all of our listeners see Pub at their earliest commits? Uh, I'm still touring the damn thing uh, because I... I chose to remain very independent on this release if i'd signed it over to you know one of the distributors like madman or umbrella i would i would have seen a, a pittance and then they would have controlled where and and how and under what circumstances the, the film would have been screened so um i'm i'm actually quite pleased that i was able to do it um by ourselves and it it meant that not only are we able to see a, a lion's share of the profit actually come back to us but i can i can stick the film in a suitcase and you know turn up at a pub broom you know or 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 Fremantle or or woi woi right turn the projector on and and um that's my movie it's not someone else's movie that that's my movie and i get to control that it also means that um, when it's time to do the DVD release, we'll be doing that ourselves. I mean, I've been involved with so many DVD productions now that shit, you know, it's walk in the park. You know, I know exactly, I know exactly what bonus features to put. And pub the movie, you can imagine, is going to have a lot of extras. Okay. There are so many things that I had to leave out of that seventy-eight minute movie. I can imagine. For for you know, obviously you don't want to bore your audience, and and you want a, a tight uh, film that just barrels along. That's exactly what I think Pub the Movie is. But I know exactly what's on the cutting room floor, and it's killing me. And I I want to I want to share that stuff. You know, I was telling someone the other day that if there was a director's cut of Pub the Movie, it would go for fucking eight days. Uh, and I'd still be like, ah, oh, but what about that bit? Oh shit, I forgot to put that in. No one needs an eight-day film, but I would I would happily sit there for eight days watching bonus features on a on a box set and uh still think, oh, you know, where where is where is that bit? Um so yeah, we'll we'll end up doing the DVD ourselves. What is still um what what's still looming for the film 
is an overseas run. We haven't even done an overseas festival yet. Uh, we're talking about maybe touring the film with I Spit in Your Gravy around Japan. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Fred to Lon- London so he can sit in a British pub and do a pub strip from London. <laughs> and, you know, probably include footage of that in the in the on the dvd you know pub goes to london uh anyway there there's just so many things that you could do but i'm already talking about the next music documentary with uh with a collaborator i'm not going to tell you anything more about it. it's still in the discussion phase but it if i get the next music doc off the ground everyone will go ah makes total sense I'll just leave you with that. And as far as the um, erotic stuff under Marcos goes, October 2024 will be the grand unveiling for that. And after that, my dream project will finally be on the road. And that is a six-part series for streaming called Film Safari, where I go to six countries and dig up six weird film stories. You know, kind of like I I pitched it to a producer as Anthony Bourdain, but with uh, weird films instead of food. And they went, oh, fuck, that makes total sense. Can't we have the food as well? Why not? (laughs) Well, it would be vegan food and no one wants to see that. I'm a pain in the ass to go on safari with. I can tell you right there. I'd be like, oh, excuse me, is that you know roast carabao vegan? <laughs> but one of the epi- one of the episodes in West Africa, and, and I can tell you right now that the episode will actually be me going to that country and making a film with with the uh, with the locals, and the film happens to be a kung fu midget remake of The Harder They Come. Wow. Keep your hands and limbs all inside the vehicle at all times, it sounds like. But, uh... So there you go. There's the scoop, Poop. That, mate, that's... <laughs> you're, you're one of the most incredible gentlemen I know. Listen, I, I met a bloke once who interviewed a narcoleptic vampire, but you're the only bloke I know who's met a bloke who's had uh, relations with a chicken on stage. Yeah, I, I, I was even... Th- Sticking that on the poster, but I thought, I don't know how that would go down in polite society. You know, meet Fred Negro, artist, musician, chicken fucker. What was weird is I watched, I went over to my parents' place and they were having chicken for dinner and my mum was pulling apart a barbecue chook on the bunker and I looked at it and started laughing. She said, what are you laughing at the chicken for? I said, I just watched them. I'll tell you about it after dinner, perhaps. Yeah, Um, wait until after you've consumed it. Bear in mind uh, that this is not the chicken in question. It's relevant to all the discussions. It's every chicken. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. so a a chicken is just a, a, a prop that Fred Negro hasn't met yet. <laughs> Everything's a chicken. Um, Andy, thank you once again, mate, for uh, for letting me have a look into your wonderful world. I sincerely hope to continue to tell these incredible stories. Uh, for everyone listening, uh, you can check out all of Andy's stuff. Uh, you have a website. Andy, where all this stuff is. Uh, yeah, available. yeah. Click on uh, trashvideoarchives.com. Yeah, there's stuff to buy, there's stuff to read, and uh, hopefully I'll be coming to a pub near you showing Pub the movie because I think over the next 12, 12 months, I'm just going to keep taking this on tour. I mean, it's, it's, I think one of the greatest pleasures that you could ever have is screening your movie to an audience and watching the reaction in real time. Sure. But it's even more fun if you get to take the subject with you and you screen it together and people get to interact um, with with the person that you've just spent 90 minutes uh, living inside their brain. Uh, So 
So the, uh, earlier this year when we did the, the national screening tour and Fred came to most of the screenings, he was having a ball, the audience were having a ball. I was sitting there going, God, did I dream this, you know, 25, 30 years ago when I started listening to Fred Negro records? Did I ever think that I'd be on stage with him? Either just made him. That for me is freaky mm. and I, I had the same uh i had the same uh effect when i did a screening of search for wang wang outside of the house where wang wang was born mm. and i played the movie to his neighbors and his family uh and the people across the street and the woman who went to grade one with him and they all came up afterwards saying thank you for making a film about our friend our nephew uh, our, our neighborhood hero. And that was freakish as well. I never thought that I would ever get an opportunity to do that. And I, I remember fantasizing about even just finding Wang Wang. You know, I had a vision of me standing at his grave and thinking, my God, this is as close as, uh, as I can ever get to Wang Wang. It happened. I made it happen. And I thought this is fucking freakish. You know, th this, this is like being able to, um, create w wish fulfillment uh you imagine it and then you're able to make it happen and the feeling that you get from from being able to achieve that impossible dream is for me a kind of magic the same way that movie making is magic it's 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 all about dreams and and uh wish fulfillment uh so you know i i think of the role of the filmmaker as a kind of magician that he's able to sort of um you know, weave a, a an illusionary trick out of his bag of tricks. It's true, and and it's powerful stuff. Particularly if you're able to move your audience, and you can affect um, change. You can affect change uh, in in your audience. That's powerful magic. That's true. As Morgan Freeman said in uh, Million Dollar Baby, if there's uh, magic that still exists, it's uh, believing in a dream that no one else can see but you. And uh, Andy, it's been wonderful uh, sharing your dreams yet again. I sincerely hope you continue sharing them with the world. They are forever intriguing. We look forward to seeing Pub. Look for Pub at a pub near you. You might see Andy and Fred and a chicken or two. <laughs> Don't forget There's to bring and chicken as well. Don't forget to bring your wet wipes. Um, don't forget to bring the wet ones for uh, for cleanup purposes after the show. Keep your hands and limbs inside the vehicle at all times. This has been Cinema Yugen with the amazing Andrew Leevold. Andrew, thank you for being here. Thanks for asking me. Thanks much. Appreciate it. Thanks very much.